0: Good morning, Grace, Ch- Grace Covenant Church family. It is a privilege to be here that I'll never take for granted. I bring you greetings from Orlando, Florida and Orlando World Outreach Center. It is a privilege to not only be here, but I want to honor our pastor, Pastor Brett, and Cynthia. She's not here this morning. Thank God for these gifts who have been amazing to us. It's rare outside of Orlando that my wife and I get to minister together, and I sure hope some of you ladies enjoyed the gift that I get to have every day, my wife. And if you would, let's stand together in reading the Word of God. We're going to look in Romans 8. We're going to look at verse 31 to verse 37, and this occasion is Paul writing to the believers in Rome because he hadn't visited the church yet. And so this is his magnum opus of theological evidence and proof of salvation and redemption and heaven and so many other things. And what we're, write, what we're focusing on is in verse 18 to 30, Paul is speaking and writing about present suffering as well as future glory. And then he moves into verse 31 and says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In fact, we trust you. To show us the ministry of Jesus, allow us to hear him and see him and the way he is making for us. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If at some point today or this week someone came up to you and asked, Who are you? Who are you? What will be your answer? There's a lot of ways to answer that question, and some people, and you may be tempted to do so, answer the question by saying what you do. Well, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm an educator, I'm a construction worker, I'm a secretary, I'm whatever. You might even refer to your relational status, I'm married, I'm divorced, I'm single, I got children, I got no children. You might go further into whatever your interests are, I'm a biker, I'm a hiker, I read, I like to travel, I like technology. But the question still remains, who are you? And is that who you really are? The question, who are you, is not the same question as what do you do? What do you have? You see, we were created as human beings, not human doings. But what we're tempted to do is actually cover up who we are with what we do so no one sees who we are. We cover up what we do. We cover what we do with who we are because we don't really know who we are. So we have to put in front of us all the accomplishments, all the goals, all the desires, all the things that we believe will make it, make us acceptable to people. But there's a little problem with that. If you don't know who you are, not only will you sell yourself short for the reason God put you on this planet, but you will also not know who you really are in the way God created you so what you do and who you are really work closely together except you got to know who you are based not on what you've accomplished not on your own strength but on who the God is that made you so when you think about this question who are you I want to take you to the Bible And I want to look at the Bible and understand at least one as many definitions, one particular definition that helps us understand who we are. And it's very clear the Bible tells us we're overcomers. We're actually overcomers. And I know you may not feel that way right now, but let me tell you, regardless of how you feel, this is the intent God had when he showed us Jesus and when he created Adam. There was a way we were supposed to live. He created us as overcomers. You look in Romans 8, 35, and 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine? Listen to these things. Or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul asks a rhetorical question. Shall anything separate us from the love of God? And he fills in the blank with possible things that can separate us from the love of God. In particular, seven things he mentions. And he's mentioning these things to basically say, I know what you're going through. I know there are real situations that you fight and face every single day of your life. Famine, hardship. You might be, you, you might be in a relational famine. You decided to take a stand as a single person to be pure and everybody thinks you're an alien. You might have missed out on a business opportunity because you wouldn't compromise your integrity or agree with a certain lifestyle. You may have missed an opportunity for whatever reason you have just found yourself in a hardship, persecution, health crisis, whatever it may be. Paul is saying, no matter what one of these seven things that we all get hit with that are imminent in this life, because this is not heaven, he said, regardless of what it is, you don't have permission to act like an ordinary Christian who takes their cues from the world about how to deal with stuff. You don't have that permission. I'm trying. In fact, he says, who, I don't care whatever you're going through right now. He says, can any of this separate us from the love of God? Should any of this really separate us? And then he answers his own question. He says, no, in all these things, can you say how many things? All, can you say all these things? All. all these things. What things? Whatever things you're going through. He said, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. See, when you know who you are, you'll know how to live. When you know who you are, you'll know what you really should be doing. And what he's saying is that we're more than conquerors, meaning it's not based on your academic degrees. It's not based on your social status. So what? You got a million followers. It's not based on your material success. It's not based on your neighborhood to call you drive or who's on your arm or if you got nobody on your arm. It is not being a conqueror does not. It's not based on any of those things. He said you are more than a conqueror. How in the Christ. So you're a conqueror. You're able to overcome by living in Christ is what this says. You're an overcomer. It's not automatic. Just because you sit in church doesn't mean you're an overcomer. This is not automatic. You have to have a life in Christ to understand what it means to be an overcomer. If you look in the word, if you look in the word of God in English, there's a word for victory. There's a word for win and it's called nikao. It's nikao, which is to have victory, to win. But that's not the word Paul uses here in Romans eight thirty-seven. The word he uses is hyper, super, extraordinary, complete, overwhelmingly victorious. He's saying this is not a little bit of victory. The victory I'm telling you about is a lot of bit of victory. This kind of victory... It's not one where you've been running a marathon and you're so tired and you get to the finish line and you drop right at 26 miles. No, as you come across the finish line at 26, ready to do another 72. <laughs> Why? Because it's hooper a kale. It didn't come from you. It came from living in Christ. It's a God kind of victory, and a God victory is a victory where he vanquishes. He vanquishes the opposition. He erases the impact and the memory and the influence of who the enemy was in your life. Anybody remember Egypt? When God went to Egypt, he went down into Egypt to a people whose mama, grandmama, great-grandmama, four or five generations of people lived in slavery. And how many of you know, sometimes you can live in something so long you'll never believe it can change. Mm -hmm. You you will not believe it can change because you've been this way, everybody around you this way. And so be careful how long you live wherever you are because if you live there too long, you won't believe when God sends you a deliverer. You won't even believe it. You won't even believe it. You will doubt the victory that God gives you because you've been stuck in that place so long. Same old attitude, same old belief system sitting up in church. God is sending a Moses to you every day of your life through his word. He had to prove that he was more powerful than Pharaoh, and he did. As soon as he proved, he was showing them that just because you've been here this long does not not mean that you're supposed to stay here any longer. So I'm going to tell you about a way out. You have to pick your pieces up, get your children's, get all the baby bottles, get the stroller, get everything that you think is important, because in the middle of the night, we're out of this place. You put a little blood up here, we got to peace out of this place. And so they just said, all right, Lord, we're going to go with you. Half believing, but they put the blood up there, didn't they? You know, (laughs) but they put that blood up there. So they're they're heading out. Great. Praise God. They're delivered. They're saved. Hallelujah. It wasn't over. How many of you know you have been saved from stuff that wants to revisit your life? The enemy is never satisfied with just letting you go. He wants to come after you again. So he is following you. And he followed them. They came to the Red Sea had no power to change, had no power to make anything happen to receive the promise of God, and they got the enemy on their tail. And so God told Moses, put that thing in the water, put that stick in the water. All of a sudden it parted. They went through into the promise of God. And what happened? We see the enemy continuing to pursue. And in his pursuit, we see God hooping the KO Egypt. <laughs> vanquished can you say vanquished? vanquished vanquished the opposition and if there was ever any doubt in their mind about where they stood all they had to do is look at the chariots floating around in the Red Sea knowing that he hooping the ko them that he gave us an overwhelming victory but here's where folks get stuck sometimes God can bring you out of a situation, but you not allow him to bring it out of you. Too many times, God has blessed your situation and you're still in bondage. Keep looking back at Egypt, peeking back at Egypt. God said, I got more for you. I'm not just bringing you out. I'm trying to bring you into some stuff. You keep looking back so much, you don't even see what I'm trying to bring you into. You're so stuck in unforgiveness and fear and lust and pornography and trying to get yours, you can't even see what I'm bringing you into. You don't see yourself as an overcomer because it wasn't you who did it. You look at God kind of vanquishing, God kind of victories. It reminded me of years ago when I played for Penn State, how week in and week out, I never got tired. Of what used to happen in the Pat Stadium in Beaver, uh, Beaver Stadium, State College, we used to have one side of this, this this stadium shout to the other side, "We are!" The other side would say, "Penn State, we are!" Penn State. I mean, three times, and then they would erupt, and they would have this lion over the intercom. It was it was electric. It was electric. I heard it a lot my last two years because we were undefeated. We were undefeated. And we ended up going down my senior year to Arizona to play Miami, University of Miami. The U, remember the U? It became an arts that day. Um, And so we went down there and in the Fiesta Bowl, in Arizona, in another stadium, we were like, we are Penn State. Because once you know who you are, you can live it anywhere. You can live it anywhere. You don't have to be in Beaver Stadium. You don't have to be at Penn State to know we are Penn State. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to wait till you get up in church to live victory on your job. Stop waiting until you get into a religious environment to know you are an overcomer. Living in Christ. So I remember we went down to uh, Arizona, we won the national championship. It was crazy. All of a sudden, people start flooding the field. All kind of people flooding the field, celebrating. We are Penn State, but technically, they had nothing to do with the victory. (laughs) Technically. Let's think about this for a moment. How many practices did you come to? Did you score a touchdown? It's hot out here in Arizona. How many tackles did you make? Moms, dads, construction workers, black people, white people. I mean, oh, oh, we all Penn State. I'm like, "Uh, I am Penn State. You didn't did it. You didn't did it. No. phenomenon took place and the phenomenon was this those people in the stands believed in us so much that they felt like they were in the game and so when they got on the field they wanted to get as close as possible to where the victory took place because they thought and believed i win was their win that when we won they won And when I think about how undefeated the devil is in your life, undefeated, before I knew Jesus, the devil was undefeated, whooped me all the time. Even when I tried to change, it didn't quite work out because I stayed defeated until somebody else stepped into the game. God became a man. He said, I'm going to put on my uniform called the flesh. And see, even though I wanted nothing to do with a sinless life, he went ahead and did the practice. He lived a sinless life. That was his practice for the game that I couldn't win. So he lived a sinless life in this practice of life for 30 years because there was a game coming that he was about to play, and it was a match with death. You know you never won against death? Stop looking like that. And you know you can't win against death. So Jesus came to this planet and he actually walked the line and practiced. We wanted nothing to do with a sin this life. Come on, saints. <laughs> you no, know you used to love your sin. We wanted nothing to do with that. And then game time. Game time was quite uh, counterintuitive. Because if you look at game time, Jesus allowed Himself to be subject to mankind. He allowed Himself to be rejected, dismissed, stripped in His body of His flesh, beaten like a sinner. And and not only did He allow Himself to be beaten like a sinner, He hung on a cross, and then He died, and then He actually was put in a tomb for three quarters. Three quarters. You know, football is four quarters. Four days. At the third quarter, he said, it's time to do something. It's time to show up. You see, Jesus was able to hoop in the KO, the devil. Why? Because he did not owe sin. He had done everything to prepare for the victory that we could not win because he was able to pay a debt that he didn't owe simply because we had a debt we couldn't pay. He not only rose from the dead, but he rose from the dead, whooping the kale, devil, the devil, sin, Satan, lust, pornography, anger, fear. He overcame everything that's been overcoming us. He said, I'll take it. And see, living in Christ, living in Christ is wanting to get so close to where the victory was won that you feel like you won it. See, it's getting real close, and where was the victory won? At the cross. You can't just sit up in church and be distant from God and actually say, we are overcomers until you get real close to Jesus. You got to come to the cross, get real close to the cross to be able to say, I believe in you so much, Jesus. I have given myself to you. I've repented of my sins. I believe in you so much that I'm actually going to live in you, and you're going to give me the victory that belongs to you. The victory belongs to Jesus, right? We all know the victory belongs to Jesus. How close do you want to get to the cross to say, the victory belongs to me because I belong to Jesus? You see, here's the thing. It doesn't... When people came on the field at the the, the national championship game, no one said, hey, I just got a promotion. I got straight A's. I got married. I got a new car. None of their personal victories... Ever mattered did not matter in the midst of an overwhelming victory. And so when you come to Christ, stop talking about what you've done. Stop talking about what you have. You better come on in here and say, Lord, none of what I've done matters. It's only what you do that gives me victory. It's only what you do. Not only do you overcome by living in Christ, but Christ has to live in you. Christ has to live in you. Years ago, I used to. Um, how many of you remember those pop up balloons? You hit them, you kick them. Y'all remember the they had a smile on the face. And it just, you know, you, you can do whatever. And what do they do? I mean, I used to be, I used to really lay it on those balloons. And that thing, watch this. I'm gonna take a risk. Every time you hit it, it come out this. It come out like this. Do you know why it popped up? Anybody ever do their science on this? It pops up because of the weight down inside. The only reason that balloon can come up because there is a weight at the bottom that won't allow it to stay down. And so I know this that the Bible says, Greater is he, greater is he that is in me, that is in me, than he who has hit me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You missed that promotion? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Why? Because there's someone in me that's greater than the pressure that just hit me. The pressure on the inside is so much greater than the pressure I feel from you. And let me tell you, the victory belongs to to Jesus, and the victory belongs to me. You got more bills than money. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I know where the victory is. They say your baby gonna die. Hallelujah! The victory still belongs to Jesus. Because the weight in my life is greater than the pressure on my life. A lot of people haven't developed Christ living in them. A Bible verse in the morning on your way to work for three minutes ain't enough weight. It ain't enough weight. To help you deal with what you're about to deal with at 1255 on Monday afternoon. You weren't ready for that. But if you get ready, you stay ready. And if you stay ready, you never have to get ready. This victory belongs to Jesus. And guess what? It can belong to you. If you realize, not only do you have to submit to living in Christ, it's a new life. Jesus didn't come just to give you a new start in life. I just want a new start in life. No, no. no. That's, That's good. But what's better is if you let him give you a new life to start. And the question is, who are you?